You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. Good morning, Antoinette. It was definitely memorable and noteworthy. It was back in 1990 when Barbara Bush was the commencement speaker here at Wellesley College, and the decision by the college to select Mrs. Bush was quite controversial at the time, drawing some protests from students. Many arguing that a career woman would have been more appropriate to give a speech to the women of Wellesley. But Mrs. Bush did tell the graduates to keep family, friends and loved ones a priority. She ended that speech with some classic wit. Who knows? Somewhere out in this audience may even be someone who will one day follow in my footsteps and preside over the White House as the president's spouse. And I wish him well. In honor of Mrs. Bush, Wellesley College named an award after her. The Barbara Bush Award for Volunteerism is intended to ensure that generations of Wellesley students experience and understand the importance of volunteerism, something that was very near and dear to her heart. We're live in Wellesley this morning. I'm Katie Thompson, WCVB News Center 5. A live look at Houston, Texas this morning of St. Martin's Episcopal Church, where in just a few hours, more than a thousand people will gather to honor and remember First Lady Barbara Bush. Mrs. Bush passed away earlier this week, leaving a legacy behind her. Quite the legacy indeed. She is, of course, part of our nation's history. But to our today family, she became so much more. Her granddaughter, Jenna Bush Hager, came to work here today in 2009, and we have all gotten to know and love her. As our thoughts are with her family, and that our family, too, this morning, Savannah takes a look back at a first lady who never hesitated to speak her mind with an unapologetic sense of humor and a true devotion to family. Why do you think we call you the enforcer? Well, because I enforce. <laughs> if you Why? do something bad, I point it out to you. That's true. Mm-hmm. That I, is- can, I can account to that. Yeah, but I stood up for you when you stuck your tongue out at all the press. (laughs) Because you've been wanting to do that for years. Every American has. (laughs) Barbara Bush was known for her quick wit. A popular first lady, her refreshing outspokenness and candor endeared her to many. You're known for your pearls. Right. And your your white hair. Right. Do you feel like that you somehow were stereotyped as first lady? Some of the stereotypes I read weren't really the ganny that I know. That's okay. That's okay with you. The pearls are to cover the wrinkles, which they no longer do. You can't wear pearls all over your face. And the white hair was because I wanted to play golf, I wanted to play tennis, I wanted to swim, and my hair turned, as I'm sure someone else will tell you, orange, green, yellow, depending upon how much chlorine in the pool. I mean, I just decided to go white. Barbara Bush often told us how truly grateful she felt, married to President Bush for more than 70 years, blessed with a family she adored. I've been the luckiest woman in the world, truthfully, and I know it. 
And through their years together, President Bush wrote precious letters to his bride. January 6, 1994, for Barbara Pierce from GHWB. Will you marry me? Oops, I forgot you did that 49 years ago today. I was very happy on that day in 1945, but I'm even happier today. You give me joy that few men know. I've climbed perhaps the highest mountain in the world, but even that cannot hold a candle to being Barbara's husband. Mum Mom used to tell me, now George, don't walk ahead. <laughs> you never listen to your mother. <laughs> Their love helped carry them through the toughest of times. Their oldest daughter, Robin, was diagnosed with leukemia. She was just three years old. Seven months later, when she was almost four, Robin died. I was combing her hair and holding her hand. I saw that little body. I saw her spirit go. Unbearable heartbreak they endured together. They went on to raise five kids and 17 grandchildren and a life that led to public service with a family of two presidents. Congratulations, Dad. They could exciting. not have predicted so many years later one president would paint the portrait of another. It was revealed for the first time on Today, and we all knew one review mattered above all others. That's my husband? <laughs> I really like it. Danny, come on. No, I like it. What do you think? I like it very much. And on Halloween two years ago, it is Jenna Bush, a.k.a. Mrs. Barbara Bush. No one had more fun that day than the First Lady herself. Does your grandmother know you dressed up this way today? Glad you mentioned what? it because we just oh, have to oh, have someone oh, who is joining us right now. First Lady Barbara Bush, Mrs. Bush, good morning. What do you think of our costumes and your granddaughter's good likeness? Morning. Good, morning. good morning. What do you think? Well, I heard... I heard she was going to dress up like a witch, so I did too. <laughs> I didn't say that, Gabby. I didn't say that. She was the first lady of the United States, but to us, she was Jenna's beloved grandmother. You're getting older, but you don't. Your mind doesn't seem like it. No. Your humor doesn't seem no. like it. I'm brilliant. <laughs> You're a good girl. You're one of my blessings. <laughs> to cry in this morning. Her guinea. Uh, a couple days ago, uh, the morning after we found out that, that Barbara Bush had slipped away, Jenna read this letter that she had written. Uh, and if you have not had an opportunity to, to watch that, I would encourage so touching. you to, to go and watch that. Um, much, much more on Barbara Bush throughout the day here on NBC. Yes. Now that letter that he's referencing that was done by Jenna Hager, Jenny Hager, um, on Mrs. Bush was how we finished our first show on Mrs. Bush, which was our last episode. And this is a special edition looking at her speech at, to Wesleyan College. And this is considered one of the top, uh, number 47 on the top 100 speeches of the 20th century. So this is an incredible moment for a first lady. And, uh, and it just goes, it, it's the perfect um, showcase of Mrs. Bush's uh, talent for um, winning over a crowd that maybe was hostile. She had a great sense of humor and a great ability to do that and, uh, and to win a crowd over. And it's one of the reasons why she was one of, if not the most popular first lady in the modern era. She certainly was, is one of my favorites, even though I do love uh, Mrs. Nixon and Mrs. Reagan and uh, Mrs. Carter and, 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 and so many of them. Barbara Bush is just a unique, special person who, uh, who I admired a great deal. 
and this speech you get a real taste of uh, that sense of humor and that ability to be the enforcer but, but and and that charm for which she managed to woo over the whole country to have Barbara Bush as commencement speaker sparked protests here nearly three decades ago, but it led to a cultural shift for the women of Wellesley that is still being felt today. In the spring of 1990, more than a quarter of the Wellesley College graduating class signed a petition protesting the school's decision to invite First Lady Barbara Bush to give the commencement address, many arguing that a career woman would be more appropriate. But witty as she was, Mrs. Bush quickly won over the crowd. Who knows? Somewhere out in this audience may even be someone who will one day follow in my footsteps and preside over the White House as the president's spouse. And I wish him well. She was just charming, and that moment came as a surprise. Rosanna Hertz is a professor of sociology and women's and gender studies at Wellesley College. She was saying that she foresaw a future in which there would be a female president. Hertz says the speech came during a pivotal debate and discussion about women balancing careers and family. I think the lasting impact is that, is that we continue to have the conversation, and I hope with her death right now that, that we again return to the importance of um, having a balanced life. That day, Mrs. Bush, as she often did, stuck to a message she believed in most. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. The year after the commencement address, Wellesley College established an award in her name. The Barbara Bush Award for Volunteerism is given to one senior every year. Barbara Bush. Thank you very, very much, President Kohan, Mrs. Gorbachev, trustees, faculty, parents, and I should say uh, Julia Porter, class president, and certainly my new best friend, Christine Bickdell. And, of course, the class of 1990. (laughs) I'm really thrilled to be here today and very excited, as I know all of you must be, that Mrs. Gorbachev could join us. These, These are exciting times. They're exciting in Washington. And I had really looked forward to coming to Wellesley. I thought it was going to be fun. I never dreamt it would be this much fun. So thank you for that. More than 10 years ago, when I was invited here to talk about our experiences in the People's Republic of China, I was struck by both the natural beauty of your campus and the spirit of this place. Wellesley, you see, is not just a place, but an idea an experiment in excellence in which diversity is not just tolerated, but is embraced. The essence of this spirit was captured in a moving speech about tolerance 
given last year by a student body president of one of your sister colleges. She related the story by Robert Fulgham about a young pastor finding himself in charge of some very energetic children, hits upon the game called Giants, Wizards, and Dwarfs. You have to decide now, the pastor instructed the children, which you are, a giant, a wizard, or a dwarf. At that, a small girl, tugging at his pants leg, asks, but where did the mermaids stand? <laughs> and the pastor tells her there are no mermaids. And she says, oh, yes, there are. they are. I am a mermaid. Now, this little girl knew what she was, and she was not about to give up on either her identity or the game. She intended to take her place wherever mermaids fit into the scheme of things. Where do the mermaids stand? All of those who are different, those who do not fit the boxes and the pigeonholes. Answer that question, wrote Fulgham, and you can build a school, a nation, or a whole world. As that very wise young woman said, diversity, like anything worth having, requires effort. Effort to learn about and respect difference, to be compassionate with one another, to cherish our own identity, and to accept unconditionally the same in others. You should all be very proud that this is the Wellesley spirit. Now, I know your first choice today was Alice Walker. <laughs> Guess how I know. <laughs> known for the color purple, instead you got me, known for the color of my hair. <laughs> Alice Walker's book has a special resonance here. At Wellesley, each class is known by a special color. For four years, the class of 90 has worn the color purple. Today, you meet on Severance Green to say goodbye to all of that, to begin a new and a very personal journey to search for your own true colors. In the world that awaits you beyond the shores of Waban, Lake Waban, no one can say what your true colors will be. But this I do know. You have a first-class education from a first-class school. And so you need not, probably cannot, live a paint-by-numbers life. Decisions are not irrevocable. Choices do come back. And as you set off from Wellesley, I hope that many of you will consider making three very special choices. The first is to believe in something larger than yourself to get involved in some of the big ideas of our time. I chose literacy because I honestly believe that if more people could read, write, and comprehend, we would be that much closer to solving so many of the problems that plague our nation and our society. And early on, I made another choice, which I hope you'll make as well. Whether you're talking about education, career, or service, you're talking about life. And life really must have joy. It's supposed to be fun. One of the reasons I made the most important decision of my life to marry George Bush is because he made me laugh. It's true, sometimes we laugh through our tears. 
But that shared laughter has been one of our strongest bonds. Find the joy in life, because as Ferris Bueller said on his day off, (laughs) life moves pretty fast, and you don't stop and look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. I'm not going to tell George you clap more for Ferris than you clap for George. (laughs) The third choice that must not be missed is to cherish your human connections, your relationships with family and friends. For several years, you've had impressed upon you the importance to your career of dedication and hard work, and of course that's true. But as important as your obligations as a doctor, a lawyer, a business leader will be, you are a human being first. And those human connections with spouses, with children, with friends are the most important investment you will ever make. (laughs) At the end of your life, You will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. We are in a transitional period right now. We are in a transitional period right now, fascinating and exhilarating times learning to adjust to changes, and the choices we, men and women, are facing. Uh, As an example, I remember what a friend said on hearing her husband complain to his buddies that he had to babysit. Quickly setting him straight, my friend told her husband that when it's your own kids, it's not called babysitting. (laughs) Now, maybe we should adjust faster, Maybe we should adjust slower. But whatever the era, 20, whatever the era, whatever the times, one thing will never change. Fathers and mothers, if you have children, they must come first. You must read to your children, and you must hug your children, and you must love your children. Your success as a family, our success as a society, depends not on what happens in the White House, but on what happens inside your house. For over 50 years, it was said that the winner of Wellesley's annual hoop race would be the first to get married. Now, they say, the winner will be the first to become a CEO. (laughs) Both, Both of those stereotypes show too little tolerance for those who want to know where the mermaids stand. So, uh... So I want to offer a new legend. The winner of the hoop race will be the first to realize her dream, not society's dreams, her own personal dream. And who, 
Who knows? Somewhere out in this audience may even be someone who will one day follow in my footsteps and preside over the White House as the president's spouse, and I wish him well. Controversy ends here, but our conversation is only beginning, and a worthwhile conversation it has been. So as you leave Wellesley today, take with you deep thanks for the courtesy and the honor you have shared with Mrs. Gorbachev and with me. Thank you, God bless you, and may your future be worthy of your dreams. Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now.